All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you here from New York City on the first day of August 2017. We, uh, I do like to remind you each and every week I'm the author of a newsletter called MiningStocks.com. MiningStocks.com. Um, actually, that's the place to go to buy my newsletter, which is called J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and we're having a really great time right now with Novo Resources, which is rising very, very dramatically. Uh, Novo has been a company that I've talked about frequently on this show. We've had Dr. Quentin Henning, the CEO of that company, um, just a, a phenomenal story. Uh, the stock is up from about $0.65 cents to $2.25 this uh, in July. Uh, and uh, But there's a lot to it. Um, really, I think it's something that you should pay some attention to. And uh, I certainly will be following it religiously on in my newsletter and on this show. And Dr. Henning will be with us in a couple of weeks to talk about the, uh, the what he believes is the next Whitwaters Rand discovery. The Whitwaters Rand is the one of the largest gold deposits. It is actually the largest concentration of gold ever found on Earth. Something like 40% of all the gold that's ever been discovered has come from the Whitwaters Rand deposit. And Dr. Henning thinks that he's found the extension of that in Australia. Uh, very, very exciting story and one that I have been covering, talking about uh, just extensively in my letter and on this show because I'm so excited about it. And now the market is finally starting to suggested maybe my views, which are really, really a reflection of Dr. Quinton's theories and his views, are in fact correct. But time will tell. A lot of work remains to be done. But you might want to consider subscribing to Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks at miningstocks.com. Go there. Sign up for a very inexpensive, um, inexpensive subscription. So i uh, also like to encourage you to consider subscribing to Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to chenpicks.com to do that. Chenpicks.com. I want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are New Range Gold Corp., RN Resources, Novo Resources, Genesis Metals Corp., GMV Minerals Corp., Fireweed Zinc, and Osprey Gold Development. Um, with regard to um, just another word or two on Novo, I, I just can't stop talking about it now. We're just to give you some sense. If you listen to Dr. Henning a couple of weeks ago, I guess he was with us on May in the middle of May sometime. He talked about um, these gold nuggets that were being found with metal detectors along a seven or eight kilometer strike length, and then he's convinced, uh, or he believes, it's very possible, very likely 
that that extends some 65 kilometers south. So we're looking at potentially, and I underscore the word potentially, a bed of rocks that maybe is five, six kilometers thick over a very, very extensive uh, area. Uh, of course, it remains to be seen if they're mineralized, but if they are mineralized along uh, the uh, the shoreline, the, the ancient shoreline is six or seven, seven or eight kilometer stretch, uh, anything like that going deeper, uh, it could be a phenomenal story, and we may indeed uh, be on to something uh, very extraordinary. At least that's what Dr. Quinton thinks uh, the prospects are, and again, he'll be with me in a couple of weeks to talk about uh, the latest, and by that time, I think we'll have some samples uh, some bulk samples, some uh, channel samples, and so forth that should start to give us a little better idea of what the grade might be. Continuity of the deposit is also very, very important. Um, anyway, today's show, Eric Coffin is going to be with me, and Michael Oliver is uh, standing along, waiting here just for me to stop my my discussion so he can give us some wisdom. And Ralph Shearing, he's the CEO of Telson Resources. That's a company that's putting not one but two mining projects into production in Mexico. I think very worth your while looking and listening to what Ralph has to say. He'll be with me after the first commercial break. Uh, it's a polymetallic mine, gold, silver, copper, lead, zinc, uh, that sort of thing, two of them. Uh, and with a market cap very, very small, I think it's one that you might want to pay some real attention to. Uh, Eric will be talking to us a little bit about some of his top picks and some of his exploration plays. One of them is doing very well today and yesterday as well. I think maybe on to a discovery of some sort. We'll talk to Eric about that. Uh, and Eric will be with me at about half past the hour. But right now, Michael Oliver is with me. Thanks for joining me again, Michael. Good to be back, Jay. Yeah, I missed you last week. We were, uh, Mrs. Taylor and I, traveling at a little vacation. We were out in California. We uh, had spent a little time with Rick Mayberry, who's a uh, who who is a guest on this show from time to time, and um, we had a really good time. But we always miss you, Michael. Always miss your insights. Of course, as a subscriber, I read your your frequent missives, and that helps me stay abreast of the market and keep me from having a nervy bust when things aren't going my way. Uh, especially when it comes to gold, you know, and gold is the market that I'm most interested in, and all the other ones that are related to that, like the dollar. Uh, like the like the equity markets, like the T bonds, like um, things like that. But on on July 28th, as the um, near term gold contract was about to expire, you put out a message suggesting that maybe um, maybe we're going to see a little bit of upward momentum for gold. What what can you tell us about the way you see the gold markets right now? Well, the the big picture is still very positive. Each of the sharp pullbacks that gold's produced ever since its 35 percent explosion that occurred in the first half of uh, 2016, uh, has been to higher lows. Um, we dropped, it dropped from 1370 peak after, after having seen a low of 1050, by the way, in 2015. Went to uh-huh. 1377, pulled back all the way down in deep into the 1100s. This is late last year. Uh-huh. That's really the biggest correction gold has produced, and it's not uncommon to have major moves like that, contrary to a newly emergent trend. Mm-hmm. This happened in the topping process back in 2012, where you, you, as far as we were concerned, it was topped, and you would have $200 rallies to nowhere. They wouldn't make a new high or anything. Uh, just to intimidate those who might have realized it was a top. 
And we stayed convinced then that it was a top, and sure enough, it finally paid off in 2013 with a big collapse. But now the whole table has turned around. Everything's different. It's all back up. And uh, I think that pullback into December last year was it. Then we had a sequence. If you look at a price chart, which we, we do, but we de-emphasize price. Mm-hmm. Price had a pattern of zigzags to the upside all the way back up almost to 1300 This is from a low in the low 1100s, a secondary mm-hmm. higher low than the bear market low. And finally, you took out a prior low. For instance, we made a low, I think, in May at uh, 1214 and therefore, the pullback that we recently had that came down there finally nipped out that low, meaning mm-hmm. you took out a zigzag low in a sequence of higher zigzags. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that people looking at price charts get too preoccupied with, whereas they look at a, a recent sharp low and say, gee, I don't want to take that out. Well, sometimes you need to in order to clean it out, to run some stops, to uh, get some weak longs out of the market. And as soon as they did, they went to 1204 Ten dollars below the May low. Next thing you know, we're at twelve seventy three today. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Now there's a pair of price highs that everybody can see up in the twelve nineties that we've made over the, uh, this year. Both peaked uh, within a dollar of each other in the mid twelve nineties. As far as we're concerned, those highs are going to come out because momentum action has already closed above the equivalent of those highs, and I'm talking mm-hmm. about a long-term momentum oscillator that we watch. Yeah. Uh, so momentum tends to lead on the upside and not confirm on the downside. So, for example, the same momentum chart that broke out, as you quoted on July 28th, last Friday, did not take out the May low when price mm-hmm. came down and took out the May low. Ah, uh, yeah. So, in other words, momentum said, nope, it's not a, not a good low, and sure enough, it wasn't, market turned up. And then now the market is short of its highs, yet momentum's above those highs. So we're very positive. I tend to think that uh, we're probably ready for a, another strong ramp in gold and in the gold miners. Uh, the GDX has behaved in the same way as gold, technically speaking, as on our momentum work. And it also crossed some key levels last Friday on the close. So as far as we're concerned, it's a green light. And I think that the coiling, twisting, unnerving action of gold over the last uh, six, nine months is over. We're probably on the route to um, strong upside again. There is another number I'll throw out for everybody to mark down, 1321. Mm-hmm. That's more than $50 short of last year's high. You mm-hmm. trade 1321 anytime this year, and I think you're going to launch probably a couple hundred dollars pretty quickly. Uh, wow. So that's another number I'd watch, and that's, you know, what's $50 above us, so it's 45 5% above the market. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that far. Mm-hmm. Not that great a move, and it, it certainly would be possible. With just a couple yeah. of minutes left here, I have to ask you uh, about the T-bond, which to me is one of the most mm-hmm. intriguing markets there is. Alan Greenspan reportedly is saying that it's that it's a bubble and it's going to burst, and it seems to me uh, that you've been out ahead of Alan because you've been sort of suggesting that your momentum work is suggesting that the T-bond has turned uh, for a long time. I think you're talking about yeah. a secular turn probably. Yeah. In the T-bond, uh, what, what's your thoughts now about the well, T-bond? Well, we labeled it a major bear market as of last October. Price then was 166 on the T-bond futures. They're now 153, 154. They're having mm-hmm. a rally. They've had a rally for many months now, four, five, six months, really gone nowhere, but just a slight upside bias. That may persist for a while longer. Uh, I, I, I tend to think that the next leg down in the bonds, which uh, we have some numbers defined in our reports, uh, is not quite ready to commence yet. 
and it may be being supported by the wobble that we've just seen over the last week or so in the so-called FANG stocks, or the, the, the very narrow leadership of the market, especially mm-hmm. Amazon and Google. Uh, they've had sharp drops, and the S&P's tried to ignore that, but I, I tend to think there's some money saying, hey, I want to find a safe place. And it, you know, the typical thing, what do you do? You buy T-bonds. That may mm-hmm. tend to support the T-bond market on an intermediate basis for a while longer. I don't think it's going to drive it north in any strong way, but it could mm-hmm. delay the next decline, which I mm-hmm. think will be substantial, meaning higher rates. Mm-hmm. But uh, that, that factor alone, the, the, the sharp wobble in the narrow leadership of the market, could be something that's affecting bonds right now. Well, you'd have to think that uh, another bear market that you've called is the dollar. The dollar is really weak since you made that wonderful call. It's it's just been absolutely perfect as far as I'm concerned, making money on one of my investments uh, accordingly as a result of that. But you would think that people would look around and say, well, okay, we got T-bonds are denominated in dollars. Maybe that's not the greatest thing if the dollar is losing mm-hmm. 10% of its value a year. Then where do they go? Well, that, that will under, undercut T-bonds. There's no question. I mean, if you, you're a foreigner and you're invested in it and you're losing on the forex side of the equation, then it's definitely a negative. Uh, and that, that is a drag on bonds, and that probably is restrain, a restraint on the bond rally. But I, I, anyway, in our reports, we're monitoring for the, break, the renewed breakdown excuse me, in the T-bonds. And uh, they just missed it last week by about a half a point, and then they've bounced a point, point and a half since then. And I think that's probably due, again, to the, uh, the, the knee-jerk flight to, quote, safety uh, mm-hmm. that you see whenever the stock market wobbles. And, again, the stock market I'm talking about now is several stocks. So, yeah. you know, to realize the percent drop they've just suffered, uh, Amazon and Google, yeah. for example. Yeah, and another, another thing that the wind at the, at the face of the T-bond market uh, would be commodities. And, and just really, real quickly, I guess you're still very, very bullish on commodities and especially… I, I think the commodity market, yeah, as a whole is… is Turning, uh, it's irregular. Uh, we've had some recent rains and so forth that have affected the grains back to the downside. Everybody thinks, "Oh my gosh, we're we got a glut of grains, and now we've got a good crop." And first off, we're not the world in grains. That's step one. And secondly, look at the relative price of grains historically speaking. And sometimes you can have a good crop and yet be vastly underpriced for too long in mm-hmm. a, a, a given sector like the grain sector. So I tend to, I still think that the grains have bottomed and are looking for a, a sharp turn up, but I also see it in the, the soft commodities, cocoa and sugar. I see bottoms being made. Uh, oil, I think, is going into the low 60s. It's right now in the high 40s. Uh, I think, as I said, on gold and, and silver are higher. So I see more across-the-board commodity strength uh, in process right now than I did last year. Mm-hmm. And I think All right, the, dollar, good. Well, the dollar is a help. In yeah, indeed. Yeah, the dollar is a help. Right. All right. Well, we'll have to leave it go at that, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. Always a Thank pleasure you, talking to you and uh, getting your wisdom. I'm sure our, our listeners are really enjoying it and profiting from it, too. Thanks again for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. After the break, Ralph Shearing of Telson Resources will be with us, and he's going to tell us about a couple of mining projects that his company is going forward on. i got to tell you, with the very small market cap this company has, I think it's something you want to pay attention to because if these guys start to produce profitably, I think you're going to make a lot of money with Telson as well. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back with Ralph Shearing.
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay Project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. New Range Gold Corps is a Canadian junior explorer focused on its recently acquired flagship Pamlico Gold Project. Located in Nevada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. Known as one of Nevada's highest grade gold districts, Pamlico was held by private interests for most of its history and remains largely unexplored. Drilling by New Range is already confirming the legendary grades of the district with intercepts up to 341 grams gold per ton. Well financed with no debt, New Range is unlocking shareholder value at Pamlico and trades under TSX symbol NRG. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me once again Ralph Shearing. He's the president of Telson Resources. And uh, Ralph is an experienced miner, been around the around this business for many years, and uh, a lot of experience uh, in the exploration and production side of the business. Um, and I should mention before we say hello to Ralph that Telson trades in Toronto under the symbol TSN. You can buy it in the U.S., as I have under the symbol SOHFF, uh, 104,149,104,000,000, let's call it 0.14 uh, million shares outstanding, Canadian 35 cents earlier today, at least when I last checked, giving it a market cap of around $37 million in Canadian money or roughly $30 million in U.S. funds. Should also mention that it's uh, TelsonResources.com, Telson resources.com after you hear what ralph has to say i think you're going to want to check it out and learn more about this about this exciting company that's not an exploration company as much as it is a producer it is actually producing now is in the development stage in one of its mines so uh thanks for joining me ralph let's let's hear more about this story of yours well thank, thank you very much jay um when we we're pushing two mines towards production uh, our first pr- project is Tabueto. It's been in the company quite some time. We've actually started mining there. We're producing around 50, 150 to 200 tons a day, and we're shipping that ore about 150 kilometers to a tow mill. It's a particularly high-grade zone that we're mining on with that. So 
we did the same thing in industrial scale test earlier this year, and we made some good money on that. So we've decided to go ahead and produce on a continuous basis while we're out uh, raising the money to actually build the processing plant on site. So we've mm-hmm. started mining. We actually turned the mill on uh, late last week, and we're processing uh, our product through the mill. We should have our first concentrate shipments uh, being sent out to the commodities purchaser probably mid, early to mid next week. So we'll be starting to generate cash flow off of that uh, pre-production. <clears throat> All right. Let's. Uh, what um, sort of how do you see this then as this this production as a means of of financing some or part of part of the uh, or all of the the um, production site you're going to build a mill on site I guess right yeah correct not all of it for sure I mean it will supplement the the mine built capital that we need to raise and it's really a way to start generating cash so we don't have to go to the markets and raise a bunch of equity to dilute our shareholders um, what we're looking for to raise to build the mine at Tabuetto is about $50 million. Um, and we're sort of in advanced discussions with a number of off-takers right now. So we hope to have that secured over the next several weeks to two months now. You know, these things are always a, a fluid, they're, they're fluid things. They take a while to negotiate and get in place, but we're fairly far along. We expect to be able to get that funding in and start building the mine on site. We have been doing our development on site. We've been actually getting the mine ready for production, producing or, or driving in haulage level portals. We've got over 200 meters in that and uh, stockpiled a bunch of more out of that particular area. But the area we're mining is, as I said, it's a very high grade zone and allows us the luxury of being able to ship it off site to generate cash in the meantime. Uh, Ralph, can you give our listeners a sense of the relative metal values that you have there? I mean, it's a polymetallic deposit of gold, silver, copper, lead, zinc, I believe, at the uh, Tayueto mine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what What is the relative value? I mean, is it is it mostly zinc? Is it mostly gold? What is it? Well, it's primarily a, a gold play. It's a, it's probably 60 to 70% of the value is in the gold, and then the next highest paying commodity is zinc, followed mm-hmm. by lead, copper, and silver. Um, we, we had a pre-FS, pre-feasibility study prepared earlier this year. It came out quite positive at 350 tons a day underground mining operation, uh, which we intend to start, and we're going to increase it from there. But that PFS came out as about a 36% internal rate of return, uh, post-tax, $77 million at an 8% discount. And for the NPI, um, our cost of production are about $91 per ton, and that's everything, shipping costs, smelter, penalties, et cetera, all built into that. So it should be a very profitable situation for us. Mm. We can mine oh. gold at Tawaweto based on the pre-feasibility study calculations at about $495 per gold equivalent ounce at 500 mm-hmm. tons a day. And our real plan is to start at that, increase it to 1,000 tons per day, which will decrease, you know, the, the cost quite a bit. Our gold equivalent ounces should come down. We expect probably seventy dollars or so um, wow. an ounce for production. So it, it it looks really really good. Um, mm-hmm. We've actually good done some internal calculations of a thousand tons per day. Um, we purchased the mill. The mill sitting outside in uh, Tepewanis, which is the closest uh, supply area to our project. And as soon as we're funded, we'll build the foundations. We'll start moving that mill into to. to construct the mine. So we've, we've advanced the project a long ways and are able to start producing now, um, albeit for toll milling off-site. Mm-hmm. 
And what is your timetable in terms of having an on-site mill? As soon as we're funded, we expect it to take no more than six months to build, construct, and get it up and operating at the 550 tons a day initial startup production. And uh, Ralph, and those costs that you're talking about, are those using the other metals as a uh, as an offset um, to the yeah, gold? That's, or? All in, that's the all-in calculations from the pre-feasibility study for the, for the sale of all metals. And, okay. You know, with, with dilutions and, and everything is built into that pre-feasibility study. It's a fairly detailed uh, uh, look at the economics of the project. I'm sure it is. Can you recall what, what was the gold price that was assumed in the project? It was around $1,000 per ton, I believe. It's pretty close mm-hmm. to that. So we uh-huh. fairly conservative, fairly conservative gold prices. Okay, good. And uh, it seems to me, as I recall looking at this, you've got quite a bit of exploration potential, but the 1,000 tons per day, is that sort of the, the limits that you're constricted to there, given, given the logistics? Uh, no, it's not. Uh, you know, actually, just go back. I think I said a thousand tons. A thousand tons is a gold price or per ton is per ounce. I'm sorry. Per ounce, that. exactly. A little, yeah. a little yeah. slip of my tongue. Yeah. Um, but no, the, the actual exploration potential in Talueto is is vast. It's a very large system. We've only explored a very small amount of it, and we have at least seven other structures that are mineralized that we need to follow up on. And even the, the structures that we've drilled and we have developed our resources and reserves on are open to depth and all directions, um, north, long strike and to depth. So there's a lot of room to, to increase the, the tonnages and the grades and the metal content as we move forward. So I would envision the project to grow. Uh, we think that it will grow you know, past the 1,000 tons per day to two to, to maybe even 3,000 tons per day in the future as we develop more resources and more reserves. All right. Well, that's one project you have. You have a second one, uh, Campo Morado. And, uh, in Mexico. Talk to us about that. You, you just recently, I think you acquired, you purchased that, and that was a project that went for several hundred million dollars, as I recall, in the past. I mean, it just, uh, it, it dwarfs your, your current market cap by several fold, many fold. What do you plan to do with the uh, Campo Morado, and how soon might we look for some production from that, from that site? Well, Campo Morado was an exceptionally good opportunity for the company and our CEO Antonio Berlanga was able to negotiate with Nearstar to purchase the, the company for, for really a fire sale price. Um, Nearstar was getting rid of all of the mines that they purchased and, and we picked a Campo Marauder up for $20 million um, and we paid $3.5 million. There's a $16.5 million due within a year, so June of next year. So we've been on site. We are, uh, we've cleaned up the mill. We've got crews working through the mill, getting it all ready to start processing again. I believe they've actually started up and run water through it and, and getting it ready to produce. Underground, uh, we've looked at all of the undergrounds. Everything is basically ready to go there. All the equipment has been fully serviced. You know, if when it's sitting around for a few years, you need to go back in and just, just go over everything, make sure all the bearings are well lubricated and replace any parts that need to be replaced. So all of that work has, is more or less finished. Um, it's continuing on. And the plan is within the next uh, couple of weeks to start actually mining underground and, and getting a, a large sample from underground and start testing the mill out. So we're hoping to run a, a fairly large amount of or through the mill and get all the bugs and kinks out of it ready to, to start producing. And again, we need to raise some 
capital in order to fund the operation. So operating capital, we're looking at from five to seven million dollars. Mm. Once again, we're in advanced discussions with um, off takers to supply that because it's really just a turnkey operation. We just, with all oh. the work we've done and what we're doing, we should be able to start that project up in very short order. So we're mm. hoping to get it producing uh, by October. Um, into October, and if we get the sooner we get our operating capital in place, the sooner we'll be able to do that. Do you have a sense of the economics of that project, and are you going to do any sort of formal feasibility study, or are you just going to go forward? I mean, it is a previously operating mine, so you know a lot about about its capabilities, I guess. Uh, correct. I mean, it operated uh, first for Farallon Resources for about a year when Nearstar came in and purchased Farallon Resources for about four hundred and twenty million Canadian dollars in a friendly wow. takeover. Um, then they put a bunch of money in to expand the mill, so they actually brought the mill up to twenty five hundred tons a day. They've got a fully well, a, a copper circuit. They recently were building to put in. It's eighty percent complete. So there's just so much in equipment and infrastructure there. Uh, it's been a great deal for us. The economics, um, I mean, it was a tough goal for Nearstar. The, the metal prices were very poor. You know, the industry in 2013-14 was, was very, very beat up. Zinc prices were quite low. So they had a tough time making any money at it. Um, and Campo Morado's got a few you know, little challenges. The metallurgy isn't as good as you'd like it to be, but with the elevated prices in zinc and gold, um, we we think we can do quite well with it, and we can actually hopefully get the recoveries up. Nearstar really focused on zinc because they're you know they wanted to feed their smelter um, in Europe. They have a zinc a Belgium zinc smelting company, um, so they were really focusing on zinc production. We're looking at mining the areas of the resources which are considerable um, that have higher precious metal contents filled with good zinc mm. values. So, so there's, there's 17 million tons of resources at the project. And mm, measured wow. indicated 9.6 million tons. So it's it's an exceptionally well-explored uh, and developed project, ready to turn the key on and start mining again. And the exploration so, potential is, is very, very good, even in and above what we have so far. Mm, and we think we've got a good you know, 10 to 15 years of mine life with the current resources once we develop them into a reserve. But the exploration potential, many, many other targets that have been identified through gravity, surveying, geochemical surveying, you know, the geophysics, and there's a number of those are coincidence, so those are excellent targets to go after, and you know, with a little bit of exploration success, we'll be able to add to the, to the resources that are already outlined. So NYSTAR, it sounds to me, didn't really optimize the project in a way because of their, their desire for zinc over, over the other metals, and I guess that's one of the advantages that you have, is that you don't have that bias, but uh, well, let me ask you, Ralph, with just a couple of minutes left here, uh, going back to the uh, to your Tawiwato uh, project, um, the, what do you think, I mean, you and I have been around this business long enough to know that there's no slam dunks. It's a tough business. Aside from the metals prices, which you have no control over, what, maybe you can address both projects, what do you think could go wrong? Is there any, I mean, maybe you're not seeing anything, or you're obviously very optimistic about things, but... Just think about what what investors should be watching out for risk risk wise. Well, I think you know access to capital. Uh, once the investors see that we've uh, pulled in the operating capital at Campo Morado and the mine build capital for Tawaweto, then you know the game is really on, um, and and we're really close to doing that, in my opinion, with the way the discussions are going. 
Um, you know, other than that, you've got, you know, you've got local potential risk, but our relationship at Tawaweta with the local people is, has been excellent all the time, and we've been in there a long period of time. We'll be employing most of the people. And even on Campo Morado, Nearstar did have some difficulties with, with local, um, I don't know how you would call it, so local gangs or, or people in the narco business. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we have been in there. We've been talking to all of the people around the area. We have full support of, of the local people, the, the government authorities, the army. Everybody is on side to get this project back up and running at Campo Morado because, you know, it, it's a very good mind to bring employment to the people in the area. Um, so, you know, those are challenges. We believe with our Mexican operating team who've been operating mm-hmm. mines in Mexico all their life, they have the capacity and the ability to do this um, uh, on an ongoing basis. So, you know, they, they've been a real key to letting Telson move forward very quickly over the past year. Um, well, it's... Great cer- cer- it certainly does look like a, like a very promising story, especially from its current from your current market cap, Ralph. Uh, I, I want to thank you very much for being with us. Anything else, real quickly? Anything else that you might want to highlight? Well, I, no, I was just say, with with both projects, you know, we have about a, uh, 1.2 million ounces of gold in resources, and some of uh-huh. that is in reserves. If you look at just gold equivalent with gold and silver only, we have over 2 million ounces of gold equivalent resources only mm-hmm. looking at gold and silver. And then you have all the base metals on both the projects on top of that. So, you know, our market cap is extremely low for what we have and, and where we're going. And I would really encourage your, your listeners to have a good look at us and, and, you know, pick up a bit of stock. I think they'll do very well. Yeah, I, I think that's right. It's TelsonResources.com, folks. Telson Resources. Go there, learn more about the company. Thank you, Ralph, so much for being with us. We'll look to do it again sometime. I certainly want to keep up with your story. It is a fascinating one, and I think a very promising one. So thanks very much for being with us. Well, folks, don't go away. After the break, Eric Coffin will be with us to talk about three of his top picks, uh, some very exciting exploration stories, and one of those three has made yours truly a bit more happy today because it's up very nicely. So we'll uh, have Eric back with us right after the break. Don't go away. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Novo Resources focuses on the exploration and development of gold projects. Its flagship asset is the Beaton's Creek Gold Project in Western Australia, where it is currently upgrading and expanding on its resources to produce an economic study in Q3 2017, followed by construction in Q1 2018. Novo enjoys a strong balance sheet and supportive shareholder support from the likes of Eric Sprott and Newmont Mining. It trades in Canada and the U.S. under the symbols NVO and NSR. RPF, respectively. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questions4taylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, taylor at gmail.com. 
Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again my friend, Eric Coffin. Uh, Eric uh, is the editor of the HRA, that stands for Hard Rock Analyst, a family of publications responsible for uh, the financial analysis side of HRA. Actually, Eric uh, covers a lot more than just the financial side of the business these days. since uh, the unfortunate passing of his brother David many years ago, Eric has picked up uh, the whole ball of wax and is doing a fantastic job. In fact, he's he has had his background has been more on the financial side, but I got to tell you that he he has a great grasp of of geology, uh, of mineralogy, of uh, mine economics, and and what is likely to work and what is not likely to work. And he really specializes and likes to look at. Companies that are really not that much followed, uh, really the exploration stories. Uh, you know, that's where the really big wealth is uh, is produced or the, by the exploration guys when they're successful. Um, you know, penny stocks can rise from, from pennies to dollars uh, very quickly sometimes. Uh, and it's a very risky business, but it is one that can also be highly profitable in a bull market uh, such as we're in now. So I'm really happy to have Eric with me um, today to talk about a couple of his favorites, and let's get an idea also what he thinks about the markets. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thanks for inviting me again, Jay. Always good to have you with me, and um, it's just always good to have uh, to hear your thoughts about some of the some of the stocks that you're following, some of which I picked up on thanks to you for my letter. Uh, and I want to ask you about a few of those um, three in particular. I think we've talked about today. Uh, but before we get started, I'd like to ask you, um, what, what are your thoughts about the markets in general, the, the macroeconomic picture? Uh, it seems as though we might have some wind at our backs with a lower dollar now, uh, with uh, interest rates are rising, yes, but in real terms, perhaps not, and the dollar is getting weaker, which means uh, with the metals denominated in dollars, they're, they're rising, uh, at least in U.S. dollars. So. Give us your big picture view of the markets, and are they good or bad or indifferent for the mining sector now? Well, I mean, I think coming into this year with the you know the Trump bump, if you will, and all that, there was this consensus in the market that never made sense to me that that the U.S. was going to outperform you know Europe and Japan yeah. and China in terms of growth rates, and ergo the dollar would be really strong. And I I took exception with that theory um, early this year and just said, look, I mean, most, most guys on Wall Street ignore everything that's more than a block from Wall Street. They don't really know what's going on in the rest of the world. Europe's actually putting up pretty decent numbers. Like, yeah, I mean, every, we all know it's got its problems, but the, the big economies in Europe, like Germany, are actually doing quite well, better than the U.S., actually. And I said, you know, at some point, I, I think the market's going to cotton on to that, that differential and Europe has continued to put up pretty good numbers. The U.S. numbers seem to be weakening. Uh, you know, I, to me, it feels like Q2 was a bit of a blip, although unfortunately a smaller blip than last year, but similar in the sense that I think it was just good comparisons gave you a good, you know, quarterly GDP for last last month and for last quarter, and I suspect that doesn't last. I think we, from what I'm seeing on spending numbers and Things that came out today, like construction spending and personal uh, consumption, I, I think we we dropped back again. And with that backdrop, even though we're not seeing any kind of inflation boost, the bond market's sort of off the Fed again. I think they're 
I think they're pricing in about a 40% chance of a December rate hike, no chance of a September one. And you combine the, combine the, the better growth rates elsewhere with that view and you're seeing the dollar weaken quite a bit. I'm, I'm actually, I expected it to happen, but I'm surprised how fast and how far the dollar's fallen. It, it's pretty oversold now, but I think the big, <clears throat> the big number short term, as always, is the non-farm payrolls. Uh, which the market probably pays too much attention to, but nonetheless, it's it's a big one this Friday. I think consensus is 180,000. If there's a big beat there, we might see a bounce in the dollar. But I'm again, I'm not convinced it's going to last. Uh, if we don't see a beat there, the the dollar could really get whacked pretty hard. Uh, I think we'd both agree gold hasn't moved as far as we would have liked it to with the move we've seen in the dollar. But we may see some catch up if it's a a poor payroll report. The other thing to watch, too, is is something I watch every month, which is the hourly wage gains. Mm-hmm. If we don't see, say, 0.3 month over month, if it's only like 0.2 or 0.1, you know, again, I don't think even a beat on the payroll side is going to, you know, help the dollar for long if that number doesn't show up, because the Fed and Washington keep promising we're going to see these accelerations in wage gains, but as you and I both know, they, they just ain't happening. Mm-mm. No, they're not happening. Uh, the consumer is broke, and the the middle class is shrinking, and uh, their their uh, their lifestyle is being challenged. Uh, certainly, our, our Michael Oliver that we have on this show frequently called for a a bear in the dollar, uh, and he's been just spot on. It's it's really gone very rapidly, more so I think than he thought as well. And certainly. Um, the gold price also, he's seeing some, some strength now from his momentum work, Eric. So we may be, maybe that would be good news for those of us that are long in these stocks. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and the other thing, too, is we've also seen base metals come around a lot for a while, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised at how strong copper is being, but I'm not, I'm not complaining, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I wouldn't have expected to see it be at almost 290 this fast, but... That you know, that's going to help too. If we've got three or four metals going at the same time, that mm-hmm. that obviously gives us a way better backdrop. Yeah, another part of his thesis is that we were in a bear, in a real bull market for commodities in general. You know, they're spotty; they move in different. They don't all move together, of course. But that uh, even oil, he's seeing more bullish now. So anyway. Time will tell. I mean, these guys, uh, Michael's work is on a technical basis, a momentum basis, and it's been just really, really good. Uh, and then you see things happening. You're talking about fundamentals that make total sense to me. I agree. I think I know you've looked at the uh, Atlanta Fed's numbers and their projections for GDP and so forth. They've been spot on, and they've been yeah. down lower than the other Feds. So it, it certainly seems to make sense. Well, you know, I, I guess... When we're, you know, when we're in a bear market, almost none of the stuff that we, you and I, look at uh, seems to make much sense. But when we're, at least when we're having a bull market in commodities, uh, the sun does start to shine for our stuff, and it certainly is for a number of the companies that you're following. And one that I like a lot that you follow is Almadex Minerals. Trades in Toronto under the symbol AMZ. You can buy it down here in the states as I have under the symbol AXDDF. 48 million shares, more or less outstanding at 86 cents in U.S. money. Gives it a market cap of U.S. 41 million or so. Now, this is a prospect generator, but one of the, it's sort of a, well, it is a father-son team that heads up this company. They've been very successful in the past, uh, and they tend to look at one project or so. They they single out, they have their own uh, for exploration and, and to 
to generate value through their own efforts to a greater extent than a lot of the prospect generators. And they have their own drill rigs, which means they can drill less expensively than going out and hiring somebody else. But you've done an update. Just yesterday, you put out an update on this company, uh, Almadex Minerals. What are you seeing there for their prospects? I mean, these guys have had one success. It looks like they could be on to another one, eh? Yeah, what what they what they call the El Cobre property, mm-hmm. which is essentially right next to the city of Veracruz on the on the eastern uh, uh, the, the eastern uh, seaboard of of Mexico. Mexico, yeah. They've it's based, it's a very large property. It's got several known, I guess, porphyry centers, uh, basically low grade copper gold that they've they they or others have put a few holes into and. They gave it a big rethink recently and uh, started drilling again last year. And they're they're currently drilling in two places. Uh, one is called the Norte Zone, and they've had a fair amount of success there. The last hole they drilled was actually the best hole that I believe that's been come off the property. It was about seventy five meters of three grams mm, with some copper, wow. but that was part of a four hundred and fifty meter intercept. Mm. I, I actually met with Morgan and Dwayne. Morgan's the son. Dwayne's the dad. Mm-hmm. Last week, and they're they're getting very positive about Norte. It, it's one of these things where it's put out some great holes, but it's hard to tell what the size is. But they seem to be a lot more confident that the high grade part of this is hanging together. They're drilling mm-hmm. now to kind of try to chase it to surface, and they'll probably try to chase it to depth as well. But it, it looks like Norte, which is just one of several things, um, could have you know a few hundred million tons of low grade, but more importantly, you know, potentially tens of millions of tons of relatively high-grade gram-plus material, mm-hmm. uh, and that's, that's what will get you started. They're also drilling um, They're drilling an area called Ensenal, which had a bunch of historicals. Uh, they were kind of, you know, meh, you know, 0.2, mm-hmm. 0.3 copper. But they've seen some stuff on surface, which is similar to the high-grade stuff at Norte, so they're putting some holes in there. But for me... The area that really that really looks interesting is something called the Rio Trembrillo, which is about three kilometers south of Norte. They just found a large outcrop area there a couple of months ago that they didn't they didn't even know the outcrop existed. One of their new uh, one of their new hires went wandering around and found it, and it's a fairly large outcrop area where they're they're getting sort of gram type numbers and goals. Um, this, this area, this part of the world, you won't get copper on surface because it just it basically just leaches away, but mm-hmm. um, pretty long stretches in a, in a number of trenches where they're getting ground plus numbers, and they're they're just finishing building pads there now. There should be a drill on it. There might it might be there now, but if it is, mm-hmm. it'll be there in a few days. And I think that's got really high potential. It looks to me like Almadex can actually. I, I think they'll pull together a a fairly strong resource. In fact, probably two or three on this property. And mm. in addition to that, they own a large number of other projects, as you said. Yeah. They told me they're going to get a lot more active and looking for partners because they just said, look, we, we think El Cobra is working out and we, we just can't be, in, you can't be in two places at once. So mm-hmm. we've got to get mm-hmm. some other guys to work on some of these other projects. And the other mm-hmm. thing they own, because as you mentioned, they are sort of serially successful. They found three or four deposits. Almadex owns royalties on all of those deposits. Yeah. One of them is, is right next door. And it was another one of their discoveries right next door to El Cobre called uh, Caballo Blanco. That's supposed to go into production um, early next year. They're pushing through to uh, feasibility with their other company on Extaca, which is a 
sort of a silver gold, silver rich deposit. Um, that one, I, I also think that one probably goes in production. So, and I don't wow. think they really get any value for the royalties. If it was, no. <laughs> if they called themselves Almadex royalties, they'd probably get twenty million in market cap for the royalties. Yeah. And I think everybody yeah. ignores them. Yeah, good point. And they're yeah, very frugal. Uh, you know, they're very cost conscious. Uh, Operators yeah, for all, sure. Putting money in the ground, and these guys are—I mean, yeah. they're explorers. And it's funny. I went to this lunch that they hosted at the Sprott Conference, and a bunch of guys came up to me after, and they were going like, "These guys are talking of going to production with with this, this stack of thing, but they, they seem like exploration guys." And I was like, "Look, I mean, that's the game. That's what you have to do when you when you're when you're at this point of development. You got to act like you're going to go into production. I mean, sure. that's, that's how you play the game." But I said, "You know, these guys are explorers. They don't." They don't want to spend twenty years worrying about reagent levels in the mill. They want yeah. <laughs> they want to get a stack to the point where somebody takes it out, and then they're just going to go right back to focusing even harder on the expiration projects and Almadex. Yeah, they can't the sit back. Love. They can't sit back and just say, "Here we are, take us." They've got to move it forward as far as they can themselves. And yeah, yeah that's how the games played. I mean, yeah, for sure. Well, that's that's a really exciting one. Another one that's uh, exciting today is San Marco Resources uh, trades Toronto SMN. OT in the U.S. You can buy it uh, as I have under the symbol SMREF. Uh, Fifty-six million shares, more or less, today. It's up. Uh, I saw earlier today up twenty-one percent to twenty-three cents. Market cap of around thirteen million Canadian dollars. I'm talking Canadian here. Well, that'd be about ten million in U.S. money, I guess. Now this is another prospect generator. At least that's the way I look at it. I think that's the way they see themselves, Eric. But it is also one that seems that they seem to be looking at, at adding value by taking a pet project a little further along themselves, and uh, they seem to be having some success with something called Chunabus. Is that right? Yeah, they've got. I'd say they sort of have two pet projects, Chunabus and. 1068, and, and these two mm. projects are only about seven kilometers apart. They're in, they're both in Sonora. That's their area of focus in, in northwest Mexico. Chunabas, they went in to drill, you know, higher grade in shears. Um, that was sort of acknowledged as being the model when they started when they started the, working on this property that they picked up about a year and a half ago. And there are high grades there. There are apparently still local camperinos working some of these shears. So they went in and they did some drilling, and once they got really the first hole into it, they were looking at core, and they were the first guys to drill core in the property, which is important because core allows you to see textures and stuff you really can't see that well with RC. Mm-hmm. And when they looked at the core, they were like, wait a minute, this is not this is not the rock type everybody was talking about. This is totally different stuff. As it turned out, what they appear to have is what's called an intrusion-related model rather than a shear-hosted model. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why that's important at this stage isn't so much grade. I mean, the, the first couple of holes they put out were kind of like okay grades. It's, it's not really about the grade at this point. It's about the scale. Uh, this system looks extremely large. I had a long conversation with the CEO yesterday, and he was just about to jump on a conference call with a couple of guys from South America that I believe they're hiring that are specialists in this deposit model. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, part of what I like about this is this is a very conservative, frugal, level-headed group of professional guys running this company, and they are they're very pumped about this. Uh, mm-hmm. These guys are going to hit this thing hard, and the reason why they're excited is this type of deposit. When you find one, they do tend to be large. Um, I gave a few examples in the recent write-up. I gave, and I think the smallest one of those examples is four million ounces, and they they run up to about twenty. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they tend to be big, but they take work to figure out. The other project that's that that's to the north of it, the 1068, that one's just kind of a straight-up porphyry target. I'm uh, eagerly anticipating some sampling from there. They just did some trenching and got about 200 meters exposed in a road cut, and part of the issue they've had with this property all along is there's very little exposure of the porphyry. There's there's a huge exposure of what's called lithocap, which is the alteration that sits on top of a porphyry system, which usually doesn't have much of anything in it. But just the, the size of that lithocap, I know it's a big system. So mm-hmm. they went in with a cap just a couple of weeks ago, and they did manage to create some exposure with that. And they've sampled it. And I, I think if they can come back with, you know, it doesn't have to be crazy grades, but just to show some continuity, if they can come back with, you know, 100 meters of 0.3.4 copper and half a gram mm-hmm. of gold, something like that, I think they'll get a lot more interest. I know that there's several majors interested in that project. And I think they'll right. decide once they have these trench numbers, whether they, you know, do, do they bend it or do they drill it? I mean, it's gonna, it'll depend on what kind of deal they get offered. But my, my gut feel is these guys would really like to stick a couple holes in this because they know the first few holes in a porphyry, that's where the real value generation is. If you hit right. the impact can be big. Right, for sure. Well, uh, fo- Eric, we've got three minutes left, and there's another okay. company to talk about. And I want to also mention the... Uh, the Metals Investor Forum coming up, and you can, uh, folks, you can sign up for that uh, at my website. Um, go there right now, and uh, as soon as the show is over, anyway, and, and sign up for that. Just name and, and email. Um, so, Eric, um, one more here: Vendetta Mining, as a zinc play in Australia. Uh, you got about three minutes at most to uh, talk about that. What can you tell us about that one? Well, it's it's sitting at about. Uh 29 cents about three or four weeks ago they came out with an updated resource uh that resource was actually a huge improvement uh the market has just kind of traded sideways hasn't really appreciated it what they did is they they took the resource up to about 12 million tons but 9 million of those are are open pit tons uh which means low capex um high high uh you know high net on these things uh they're still drilling they're probably a third of the way through their next drill program right now. They put up some more holes a few days ago. Again, good holes that probably increase the grade in this open pit tonnage, maybe make it a little bit bigger. Uh, I talked to their CEO yesterday, too, and uh, things are going well with the deeper drilling. I'm expecting to see good drill holes for the next you know, three or four months out of this thing, then another resource estimate. I think they can get to 15 million tons, and I think that's the magic number. I think when they get to that size, one is big enough to just be a standalone producer, and like Almadex, Almaden, they'll probably you know make all the noises about going into production. But there's two or three mines around it that are getting short on ore in in Queensland and Australia. And I, I said a couple of months ago, and my opinion hasn't changed that I, I don't think this company's around in a year uh, with zinc prices doing what they're doing and the economics being so strong with this project because of its location. I, I think these guys get taken out. All right, Eric, his market cap is around Canadian $31 million today. Um, two, three, four times that, possibly? What do you yeah. think? I, well, I would think if they get it to 15 million tons with similar grades, I mean, I did a back of the envelope. Um, you know, I know you're not supposed to quote these numbers, but I did a back of the envelope. And this is my number, people, not their number. Yeah. This is right. a back of the envelope after a bottle of wine. Um, NPV number on this thing based on the last resource, and I was getting up around 350, 400 million. I mean, Whoa. numbers are quite strong on this thing. Whoa, wow. Well, t- uh, you know, again, realize. 
again, with the caveat that those are back of the envelope after a bottle of wine, folks. But nonetheless, Eric is a serious, a serious analyst, and um, wine or no wine, and so consider it. Don't take it as gospel, but but you heard what Eric said, and it might be worth uh, paying some attention. Thank you so much for being with us, uh, Eric. Uh, Thirty seconds. The Metals Investor Forum. It's September fifteenth. Um, is it looking pretty good? You got a lot of companies there. It's a one-day event this time, I believe. Yeah, so we can only we can only invite about fifteen. I think I think we've got six or seven, but I haven't heard from Gwen. Gwen was Gwen was off on field trips, and yeah, she she'll bring back, back a bunch. But, yeah, she'll just sort of dump a pile on on the desk. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll 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 be out of company spaces fairly quickly. We're also yeah. getting pretty high RSVPs already. We're up to around four hundred. So all right, I think well, you folks, we have a link. But yeah. you should tell people, yeah. like, if you guys want RSVP, don't wait too long to do don't it. Don't wait. JTaylorMedia.com. JTaylorMedia.com. Go there. Click on the Metals Investor Forum banner. Sign up right away if you want to go, because otherwise you'll be shut out. That, that's what happens. These are very popular conferences. They don't cost you anything, but they're, you got to sign up for it. Thanks so much, Eric, for being with us. Folks, next week I'm going to have uh, Peter Talman of Klondike Gold. Michael Oliver will be back, and also Dan Oliver. Uh, Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 